Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to a belated start edition of Spooky South Coast, but we are still going to be here for two hours to talk to you about the paranormal. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of different things in the paranormal, but definitely later on we're going to focus on UFOs and some of these UFO flaps that have been happening uh, in Florida. There's been a number of sightings, and now we have some new Phoenix lights. So we're going to talk about all that and more uh, with, a, I, I guess, a, a panel of guests. We'll, we're going to talk to Denise Stoner, who is the MUFON State Section Director for Orange County, Florida, where there's been a number of these sightings. We'll talk to her in a little bit. And uh, later on in the second hour of the program, we're going to have um, Peter Robbins, and we'll talk about some of these cases. And what does it all mean? I mean, there's so many UFO f- sightings going on. But w- what's happening, Matt Moniz? Do, do you think there's? Do you think they're trying to make contact? Do you think there's, you know, some some reason why they're watching what we're doing? Or no, this stuff just goes in cycles. Uh, every two years, you get a peak, and um, this happens to be a peak year. Well, speaking of peak year, we have somebody on the uh, line who's having a peak year with uh, all the success of Ghost Hunters International. We have Brian Harnwa on the line with us. Uh, how you doing tonight, Wheezy? Hey, Tim and Matt. How you doing? What's up, Doing brother? pretty good. How you doing, bro? All right. Now, how about yourself? Can't complain. Just uh, chilling out. Uh, about to watch some Saturday Night Live and uh, hanging go. out tonight. It's a good one tonight. It's the walking one. It's pretty, oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I saw that. I saw that earlier. I was like, oh, got to watch that. <laughs> Need more cowbell. <laughs> yes, definitely, dude. Best, best Saturday Night Live ever. Christopher Walken, man. He really is. He's, he's, he's probably, he's, he hasn't been there as many times as Steve Martin, but I, I think he's consistently more funny. But Oh, he's, yeah. he's you know, easily, I could, I could name four or five skits that, you know, that just, you know, make me, like, cry when I'm, I'm laughing so hard. It's In- unbelievable. Including the census sketch? Yes. That's, <laughs> that's always a classic. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to ruin it for him in case he hasn't seen this one. He's he's been all over the world lately, Matt, so you know, he he might not be caught up with the the Saturday night lives. We don't want to ruin it. No, I'm not Saturday. I'm not the, the the only thing I've been watching when I'm overseas is uh poker, um scrubs because they show that like five times a day and then uh <laughs> yeah. the um BBC news channel, which is the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Wow. But, so your television options definitely limited in Europe. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially when you go to places like, uh, like if we go to, you know, New Zealand was, was all right. Uh, they, they had some really good stuff. But when you go to places like Italy and Germany and stuff, you have that one channel that speaks English, and that's it. And whatever's on it, you have to watch unless you want to try to, you know, lip sync, you know, like read lips about, you know, from channels that they dubbed the German over to it. So it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty bad. <laughs> so you must bring a lot of DVDs and stuff with you. Oh yeah, DVDs. I got my PSP. Um, spend a lot of time on the laptop, a lot of time on MySpace and stuff, doing some emails. So, TV time is not too uh, too big with me when I'm overseas. What's it like when you're over there and doing these investigations? I mean, are those people just as you know ghost hunters crazy as they are here in the United States? No, it's actually it's actually pretty cool because you know when, you know it's not that bad here. Like when we walk down the street, it's not like we get mobbed or anything like that. But nobody knows who you are over there. 
So you can like you could like raise hell and nobody would care. <laughs> I mean, was it was it more of a reality check because you know here you are every time you do something in the paranormal field over here, you know you got people watching over your shoulder, and then when you get over there, you get to say, oh gee, you know here we are, just other paranormal researchers, and we're not you know the celebrity that comes attached to that. Well, yeah. See, the thing is, I've never really constituted myself as a celebrity because I'm just well, doing, I know, but I'm other people see show. you that way though. Exactly. Exactly. And the good thing is, you know, people don't constitute us as celebrities over there because the show doesn't air over there. And it's like, you know, we'll tell them, you know, because they'll see the cameras and they'll ask us questions. And we'll be like, oh, we're filming a show called Ghost Hunters International with Sci-Fi Channel. And some people will know what this, this show is, mm-hmm. but since it doesn't air over there, it's not a big deal. And it's actually uh, good for us because then we don't have to, you know, we don't have to, like... I don't know how to say it, but... Well, you don't have to shoot people out of the yards of the locations you're trying to film. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's one of the things that I've been noticing a lot lately is, uh, you know, I get all the paranormal news sent to me through the Google news that you can sign Mm -hmm. up for for your email. And, you know, there'll be stories about how the ghost hunters are coming to film an episode here on Monday. It's like, really? That's kind of like giving out the president's itinerary, you know? Exactly. Exactly. The the last time they did that, it didn't work out so well, so they stopped doing it. Well, that's why they see a lot. A lot of times when we when we go to places overseas, we're still not allowed to say where we went because for mm-hmm. two reasons: because they don't want people showing up, and they don't want to ruin the the whole surprise aspect of that one actually years. Yeah. So, well, I mean, and that must be kind of hard because uh, you you can get really great evidence, and there's very little you can say about it until the episode actually airs, and that could be months exactly. between filming and airing. Well, exactly. I think the ones we just filmed last month probably won't air until like. June or July, so it's it's like you got those three or four months that you really can't talk about what you did or you know who you were with when you were investigating and stuff like that. And it's like it's you know you have to wait till the show airs, and then you know it's not really you don't really need to talk about it because the show aired. So it's like you just keep your mouth shut until it happens, and then that's it. So it's 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 a little tough sometimes, especially with some of the evidence to catch. But you know what, I've I've learned to deal with that. And, it's in my contract, so I have to, I have yeah. to keep quiet. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been lucky. I mean, we've we've been able to film a couple of TV shows, and we've had to kind of sit on, you know, what it is that that we did, and you know. But we're lucky. We we have like really poor memories, so it doesn't matter to us. Like two weeks later, we forgot what we found anyway. Not only, not only that, we also now have a newfound respect of what it takes for you guys to do a oh, television geez. show. Oh. It's it, 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 the thing. That's the whole thing with being international. So hard to, to stay away from your family for this long because you know it takes like a week and a half to film an episode, and it's like you know it, it's, it's not like you can shoot this shoot the investigation and then come home and do evidence review. You have to stay out there for these yeah. weeks, and you have these couple of days off during the weeks, and everything is so expensive over there. It's not like you can actually go out and get something to eat. It's like it costs. You know, we're in the UK. Last time I went to Burger King and ordered a Whopper meal. And literally, it cost me seven pounds, which was like fourteen dollars. Wow! And I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I only usually pay that price at the garden. You know, like when <laughs> seriously, seriously, it's like it's like you know, I, I you just can't do anything on your days off, and then you sit there thinking about how you you know you you miss your family at home, and it's like you go on for four or five weeks at a time. It's just it's just hellacious sometimes. Well, I mean the. Uh, the good part about it is at least technology is somewhat 
catching up to where, you know, through YouTube and through emails and all that, you know, you can watch videos from home every day. The problem is you got to find the Internet connection at these places where you're investigating. Oh, seriously. It's like it's like some of the – plus most of the hotels, though, have Internet, so they'll charge you like 30 bucks a day. Yeah, it's and I'm crazy. like, I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I can't, I can't spend thirty dollars, you know, a day on internet when they, you know, they only give you a certain amount of money for food, and it's like that money's gone by once because it's so freaking expensive over there. <laughs> so it's like you just, you just, you know, it's a lose lose situation. Just follow the follow what the Griswolds did when they were in Europe. Just knock on people's door and say, my family and I are looking for sex. <laughs> and then, you know, they'll bring you in, they'll feed you, they'll pretend that you're related, and then you can go on your way. Yeah, I should do that. That would be actually pretty funny. <laughs> I, don't the, how, I don't know how far I get, but, you know. I mean, but that does kind of bring you back to your roots as an investigator, though, when you're, you know, nickel and diming your way to all these mm-hmm. places and, you know, just living off styrofoam containers and hoping maybe they offered you something to eat while you were there. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a good thing when we're investigating. The investigation, they actually, uh, the production company will bring in food, well, like, we'll, we'll order out for it, so it's one night out of the, one or two nights out of the week that I don't have to spend money on food, but, you know, it's still, it's still a pain in the butt. Well, and, I mean, you know, you're getting to try different types of food, you know, if you can eat some of the local food, but, you know, they see you coming, too. They say, oh, Americano, you know, and then all exactly. of a sudden the prices jump two, two or three dollars per item. Oh, yeah, and the funny thing is, too, it's like a lot of these places, they, they call them takeaways, which is actually takeouts. And uh, they call them takeouts here. Um, they'll actually charge you more money if you sit in their restaurant because they want you to take it away. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that even possible? I'm like, it's like, is that, is that like even legal? <laughs> like, what the heck? Well, I know, and, I know a guy who charges extra for takeout in a local restaurant here. It's like, oh, you want to take that to go? Fifteen cents extra. Oh Jesus, that's but, crazy. <laughs> hmm. So, but I mean. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity, and, and you know, you know, you can only ride that wave uh, as long as it goes. I mean, sooner or later, you know, they're not going to want to pay to send you out to all these locations, and you'll be back stuck in America doing your investigations again. But exactly you know, for now, as long as there's that interest in getting you out to these international locations, then yeah, as long you know, as long as the, the show keeps getting the ratings and stuff, they'll be still sending us out there. But it's 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 just sometimes it's like you know, you go to these places, and I think. Out of like the last seven investigations, like one of them's actually had heat. Like we go to these wow. castles, and it's like they're, they're half ruins, and it's like they have one room where there's heat, and that's because there's a huge heater in there, and that's usually usually the production area because they got to keep the cameras warm because they fog up when they're mm-hmm. when they're cold. They're cold, and it's like you go in there for five minutes to warm up, and then you're back out in the cold again. And it's like oh, it's just horrible. You get you get back to the hotel, and you're like. You just want to get under the covers and just sleep for a day because it's like you're freezing. But you know, it's it is fun sometimes. You you know, you go to places that go to places that are like a thousand years old, and it's like you catch these you catch these these uh, spirits or ghosts or whatever uh, on camera and stuff that you know they just they're like six seven hundred years old, and it's like you know you can't get that over here. Cause, yeah, you, know, you gotta think America is like what two hundred and like. 25 years old or something like that, you know? <laughs> Unless you're talking to the natives that have been here for roughly about 25,000 years. Yeah, exactly. But that's, you know, how many how many times can you actually get to do that? <laughs> I, I heard a theory, uh, and I, I think it was, I want to say it was Jeff Danilek's theory, but I, I've heard a theory where ghosts can only 
they only have a certain window of opportunity uh, within time. Uh, that's why most of the ghosts that we experience are only a couple of hundred years old. And that we don't see ones that are, you know, millennia old. We don't see people from, you know, Jesus' time coming to us as ghosts because there's just a brief window of when they can interact with us. Uh, do you find that as you're going to these older locations, you're definitely finding ghosts that must be older than just a couple of centuries? Well, I don't, I don't know because, you know, I we've had a couple of experiences and stuff that we actually already aired, like in Orava Castle in, in Slovakia, where we actually had these, it was really weird, these, these spirits. This was the first time anybody's ever investigated there. And the place had been um, not even used for like 200 years until the people actually bought it and started um, renovating the place. And whatever was there, I don't know how old they were, but they they seemed to be like very old, or, you know, very old spirits. And they would just, they, they I don't know if, if they were like more interested in us than we were of them, because we would call out to them and they would just come out. And I was like, you just see these shadows come walking out of like the darkness. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and it seemed like these, these they were very old spirits. They were like, you know, five, six, seven hundred years old because that that's how old the castle was. And that's you know, the, some of the stories of these spirits were actually were actually like the history of it was actually making sense with the with the, the way the spirits were acting. And I don't know if it was actually them. If it was, you know, later on, like you know, only like a couple hundred years ago, spirits. I don't know, but it was like. It, to me, it seemed like they were back from, like, the dark ages and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely experiencing something that's beyond, like you said, what we could experience here. Exactly. And, and the cool thing about that, too, is, like, I mean, you don't know what type of activity you're pulling up. I mean, you could be experiencing something that somebody did experience four or 500 years ago, and there's just no record of them having that experience. But, you know, it could be even older than that. You don't know how long this has been cataloged for. Well, exactly, especially, like, Rava Castle. When we got there, the people didn't have any ghost stories because they, they, they only had the experiences they had because nobody's ever gone in there and did a ghost hunt. So when we went through the and had the tour, um, me, Rob, and Andy went through the, through the whole place, and they said, okay, this spot, this spot, and this spot, but you have the full run of the whole castle. So we went everywhere, and the place where we got the most activity was this little room in one of the side the side buildings that was actually used as a taxidermy. Like It was actually used as like a taxidermy museum with a bunch of stuffed dead animals and we got the most activity in there we weren't even brought in there in the first place and because and nobody had any recollection of anything ever being haunted in there and that's where we caught most of the evidence so you know we don't we don't know if you know like you said maybe a hundred years ago somebody had an experience in there but it's not documented it's nobody knows about it so we were technically the first ones to find out that there were actually hauntings in different parts of the castle that nobody actually even had any recollection of actually having before. Sure. And and how is the team coming together? I mean, I know that you had all worked together in different capacities before, uh, but, I mean, to bring everybody together and basically try to make a group for this purpose, it's, it's kind of never been done before. How, how did that work out? Yeah, it, it worked out pretty good. You know, we had, you know, I, I obviously I, I've known Donna for a long time. Uh, she's the godmother of my child. Um, you know, she. I, I when she came into Taps, I'm the one that trained her. Um, I've dealt with Andy for a long, long time, um, for a few years. Uh, Barry, I met him like a year and a half ago when when we went over overseas to Ireland uh, the first time. And like you know, like Rob and Shannon were new additions, and we I didn't know them from a hole in the wall. And it took a couple of investigations to get the feeling for them to see how they interacted with us, how they interacted with the spirits, how they 
actually, you know, basically how they, they hunted. And, you know, it took a couple a couple um, investigations just to, to get that, that feel for them, to get to know them to where I could go out with one of them and know their quirks, know their, their, their you know, their, um, their strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, we melded together pretty well, um, you know, and like, but like every group, even groups that have been together for a long time, you have those little tips sometimes, little, what they call drama, you know. And, uh, but basically we, we, we melded together pretty good. I mean, I, I, I got to work with everybody on the, on the cases and everybody seemed to be, you know, fine with me and we got along great. So it was, we melded pretty good. And I have to say too, uh, I mean, having watched both offerings of Ghost Hunters and numerous other paranormal shows. I, I think one of the most effective teams that I've seen go in and do an investigation together is uh, when yourself and Barry work together. Uh, just yeah. because you both have a whatever-it-takes-to-get-something-happening approach, and that's kind of what I like to use. And, you know, the fact that you guys are crawling into small spaces and, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to anger things when you need to anger things. I mean, you just, you're not satisfied with just going in there you know, filming it, hoping it caused something. I mean, you're really pushing the envelope, and and I think that the show benefits from that for sure. Well, thank you, I appreciate that. Like you know, because I, I since I worked with Barry before when we first started doing GHI, I already knew his his strengths and weaknesses. I already knew the way the way he approached an investigation. So it was almost like working with Steve because I had worked with him so long that I've, I've known a lot of his his work that I just melted together with with Barry pretty you know, pretty well. And sometimes, if you notice from the TV show, we wouldn't even have to talk to each other. We just, mm-hmm. we would just go, and we would know exactly what each other was doing. And you know, if Barry knew I was going to do provocation, he would take the back seat, and he would let me do it. And then, you know, Barry knows a few languages like Russian and stuff like that. So if we went to a place where there was some kind of spirit that he could relate to with the language, I would back off and let him speak. And uh, it, it was just. It just worked out pretty well, and we, you know, we've caught some really, really good stuff on on camera and and, and you know, actual you know audio because of that. I mean, he's just a very versatile investigator, and I know, I, I not that we've seen it so much uh, on previous episodes when you were on Ghost Hunters, but you know, hearing from other investigators who have worked with you, you know, talking to Keith Johnson all the time, Kristen mm-hmm. Garland, you know, we've heard stories about your versatility as well. So when you pair the two okay. of you up and you can go in different directions, like I mean. Like you said, Barry's ability to use different languages and and just the fact that, you know, some it, – it's like he has a natural sense to know when to uh, when to be strong and when to be gentle, and, and you kind of seem to have that same sense as well. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the whole thing with me. I love to, to provoke. I love to get in there, take the gloves off, and just, just right. go at it. And I've seen you know, what happens when you do that, too. <laughs> you haven't seen everything that's happened. I've gone with all the cases off the camera that I've gotten the hell beat out of me. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, I also know when not to. It's like, like when you're dealing with uh, a, ch- a child ghost, you're dealing with a, a woman ghost. Um, you don't go in there gun to blazing. You have to speak to them with some kind of respect and dignity. But when you're dealing with some, you know, some mass murderer or somebody that was like a like a torturer, like in Chillingham Castle, we're dealing with this guy that was. You know, the, the, he ran the torture chamber, and he was somebody you didn't mess with. So I wanted to mess with him because I figure if, if I mess with him, he'll come out even more because he still thinks that he runs the castle. So that's that's how how I approach everything. It's like, you know, I may it may work sometimes, it may not, but some, some of my best results has been when I've you know been very um, very uh, angry with the spirit. <laughs> 
that's that's how I get a lot of results just in life. Just being angry okay. at people, I seem to get more yeah. results. Yeah, that's, that's, it's kind of opposite with me. When, when I'm angry at somebody, most of the time they just don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, at least now that you're you're home for at least a little while, you must be able to get out there and, and start getting back into the swing of making some appearances. Do you have anything coming up on the calendar? Uh, yes, I actually have one in June. Um, I got one in June called uh, The Wrath of Khan. It's going to be in uh, nice. Florida. Uh, it's a uh, sci-fi convention mostly. Uh, there's a couple of paranormal investigators coming. I'm the only one from GHI or Ghost Hunters. Uh, then there's a bunch of uh, Stargate HD1 guys, uh, Battlestar Galactica people. And I have one in September that is uh, called uh, Scarefest uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. We have a, uh, it's going to be with me, uh, Barry, Rob, and Shannon. And uh, they have, uh, I think Chip, Chip Coffey is going to be there, John Zappas is going to be there. Uh, and then they have some horror guests like Sid Haig, Bill Mosley, uh, Kane Hodder. Um, I'll be doing that in September. Uh, so other than that, that's about it so far. But I've got a few things in the works where, you know, my uh, my agent's been uh, dealing with a few other conventions, but nothing's been uh, bolted down yet. So, and you said you do have a new agent, so you are taking more bookings. So people want to get a hold oh, yeah. of her? and Oh, yes, definitely. If uh, they want to get a hold of Angelina, um, they can contact uh Actually, it's an email address she created for me. It says, con- it's contactbrianh at gmail.com. Um, I don't have anything to do with it. So it's all, it's contactbrianh just means, you know, to contact her for me. I don't even have access to the email. Uh, she just tells me, you know, when somebody contacts me, you know, it's contacts her for me, she'll tell me that somebody wants me to get a booking. Um, I, I'll, you know, I do conventions, lectures, um, any kind of media thing. If anybody's interested, they... And just use that that email address and get a hold of us, and we can uh, work a few things out. And you're keeping a, a calendar on your MySpace and on your Weezy World yeah. site. Oh yeah, I'll be. Uh, I have to update it because I haven't updated it because uh, I've been you know home for about a week and a half now, two weeks, and uh, just been ch- trying to spend time with the family. Um, but the next few days, I'm going to be doing the uh, the whole calendar on MySpace. Um, somebody want interested in checking out my MySpace? It's MySpace.com/slash/DarthWeezy, um, just like Darth Vader, but just with my nickname. Um, I'll have a calendar up to let them know when and uh, where I will be, and uh, hopefully the calendar will grow uh, throughout the next few weeks when a few other things come up. Well, just make sure you keep us uh, up to date and informed on all the oh, stuff yeah. that's going on. Definitely, definitely, Tim and Demand. That's not a problem whatsoever. I, I talk to you guys more than uh, more than most people, so uh, you guys will know as soon as I know. <laughs> and, and you know how to get a hold of us at any time, because you can always oh, yeah. call Moniz. He'll answer his phone at 2 a.m. Trust me. I know. I've, I've noticed that. <laughs> actually, actually, done that a couple times. And you're like, "Hello." I'm like, "You weren't in bed yet." He goes, "No." Like, right. Sometimes <laughs> he is, and he just lies because he doesn't want to seem like he's like you know the paranormal investigator that goes to bed at ten thirty. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. think about it. Being a paranormal investigator, when's most of the time that you're going to be up during the wee hours of the morning? Yeah, you're going to get some sleep eventually. Yeah. Count well, yeah, yeah. the way the way, the way I, I think Matt will will uh, will test for this. The uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been in the same room when I have been sleeping. Sometimes you wish you might have been while I was sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Dude, don't even don't even go there, Matt. Cause you you snore louder than I've ever heard anybody in my life, dude. I'm trying to get him to take the sleep apnea test, but he's he's reluctant. No, yeah, everybody think, else think, that's hung out with me has all said the same thing. Oh yeah. It's a mask, man. It makes a world of difference. That's what. That's why. That's why in Eastern State I had those bags under my eyes, those big black bags under my eyes, because I could not sleep. It was horrible. 
I actually got an email back from the organizers of Ghost Rush that said, we'd love to have Matt Moniz back next year, but he's got to get a room further down the hall. Nice. Yeah, he's got to get a room in another hotel. <laughs> it still won't help. Yeah, seriously, I probably could. I, I, actually, I'm surprised I don't hear you from here when you're sleeping. <laughs> well, it's getting to be summertime, and if you sleep with the windows open, you yeah, might just I, hear him. That's why, that's why I, I have those wonderful things called AC. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we uh, we wish you uh, luck in the future, and with Thank more uh, episodes coming down the pipeline, they're coming yeah, back I, in June. You said uh, June or July. I okay. don't really know the exact date, but I know it's going to be June or July when they come back on. Well, we'll try to have you come back on, and, and at least try to spoil a few surprises for us. Yeah, I think I think, uh, I, think I, I think I can do that for you. All right. Thanks, Bry. Thank you Not very problem, much guys. for joining us, and keep in touch, and tell everybody we said hi. I sure will. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Good night. Bye. That is Brian Harnois of Ghost Hunters International, and uh, you can go check out his MySpace, myspace.com slash Darth Wheezy. It's hooked up on our MySpace at SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Why don't we take this call real quick, Matt, before we go to commercial? Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hello? All right. They probably just wanted to talk to Wheezy. All right, why don't we take a break, and when we come back, we will try to get on the phone with Denise Stoner, the MUFON State Section Director for Orange County, Florida. We will talk about some of the St. Augustine sightings that have been going on and sightings going on all over Florida. Uh, and if you have had a UFO experience or if you know a little bit more about some of these cases that we'll be talking about, feel free to join us, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. <laughs> Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, if you've been paying attention to the uh, news lately and the, the number of UFO reports that have been all over the place, but mainly we've been hearing them coming out of Phoenix, you know, the, the rebirth of the Phoenix Lights, quote-unquote. And uh, also down in Florida, there's been a number of reports in recent weeks, but uh, it really heated up over the last few days, especially around the St. Augustine Beach area. And joining us on the phone right now is Denise Stoner. She is the state sectional director for MUFON uh, in Orange County. And she's going to share with us some of the breaking news down there and, and some of the investigation she's done into these cases. How are you tonight, Denise? I am just fine. How are you? Spooktacular, as we like to say here. Say that again, please. We're spooktacular. That's how we... You are spooktacular. Yes. That's wonderful. So am I. It's copyrighted. We put it on T-shirts and everything. And you know. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So now, what's going on down there in Florida? I mean, it just seems like uh, every day there's some, some reports coming up around what was going on uh, last Saturday. Uh, there are lots of things going on. I work mainly for Orange County, but there has been such an overload that they have given me outside my own counties. Some investigations to do. Um, we're seeing the large triangles um, that are about two stories high, the strobe lights going around. Um, some of them have been uh, uncovered as something to do with the government. Some have not. Um, it's just a matter of investigating. We have all sizes and shapes of things. We have some things on video. Um, it's just 
absolutely amazing what is happening and no explanation why we are becoming one of the hotspots. Don't know. Well, I mean, it's no secret that uh, a, a good portion of the space program is located in Florida. I mean, is there anything going on with NASA right now that would maybe make them a target of something extraterrestrial? Um, no, there's not. And as, as a matter of fact, the stealth was just retired on Tuesday. Um, that was discovered, and they have all been moved completely out of the area. Um, there's no reason to move those things at this time in the dark at night. Um, and so what people are seeing has to be something else, um, maybe a couple of the stealths, because some of them have been kept down here, maybe for display, maybe for another reason. Um, and there are some explanations for some of the other sightings. But um, as far as them all being stealths, absolutely not. But, I mean, if the stealth is essentially, you know, decommissioned or, or retired here in this case, and, and they're not actually using it for active cases, uh, and they're just taking it out and flying around with it or whatever they were doing before they put it into storage, isn't that something they could kind of be forthcoming with, saying, oh, yeah, we did have the stealth out. We were taking it for a spin around the neighborhood. and Right. Uh, so they, they wouldn't really need to hide that if that was the case. They wouldn't need to hide it, no. They would not. And... Um we have so many sizes and shapes, and the stealth is basically one size, and people that have seen sure. them realize what they're seeing. And, and a stealth is not two to three stories high with windows that people can see. And if you know anything about the various strobes, then you see we have certain strobes in certain areas, not one in the middle that's blue that's blinking and rotating from one end to the other. And I've seen there's there's a, a lot of video. Uh, Brent Fair from uh, the Taps family, the assistant director of the Taps family, sent some links to us. And and just when you see these craft, I mean, it's obvious it's something that's moving in a way that you know no conventional or unconventional plane that we're aware of can move. And just the the, the deliberation of of what it does, and it just seems to me like it's something totally unique. That's right. They seem to be, and these things are massive. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're just you know, half the size of a football field or larger. Yeah, I mean, thats I don't know too many planes that are that big that can make these type of movements. That's right. And, you know, we have people that are frightened. Um, I had someone that just called and said they felt just something strange happening in the air, um, a weird vibration, but no sound, and there was no method of propulsion that they could determine at all. And it was just hovering above their home, and it was larger than their home altogether. Um, and then when it moved off, it moved very rapidly. And now some of these cases, like you said, you know, there's, there's kind of an overflow. I'm not familiar with how the counties are in Florida, but is, uh, whereabouts in the state is Orange County? Orange County is part of Orlando. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are several smaller cities all around it. It's just, it's huge now. Orlando's very big. That and um, I have several cases going on right now. Um, one is a retired Air Force man, and um, he is driving a mail truck at night to the post office close to the airport, so he's used to seeing, being Air Force, he's used to seeing these planes flying over, helicopters flying over, and he had a large disc come up behind the mail truck, and it went over the top, and then it began to wobble and went off into the woods close to the airport, and it exploded, cracked the windows in his mail truck. The mail truck lifted off the road, crashed back down, damaged the undercarriage. 
He called security. We called the airport. We checked to find out if there was anything in the air at the time. Did they get it on radar? No, they did not. And we can't get permission to go into the woods to check to see if there are any debris. So that's just another example of what's going on. And, and the one that captured everybody's attention these last few days is uh, in St. Augustine. Uh, about how far is that from, from where you are? That's approximately two and a half hours from here, north, okay. on the east coast. But I'm sure you've been following this case of uh, of the family, the Puckett family, and what they saw and how other, other uh, people had seen this as well. And it's kind of being explained away as being a couple of Asian lanterns. That's what they're saying. Um, and they're also trying to explain that some of these lanterns can go so high into the atmosphere that they can be seen 5,000 miles away. <laughs> I've seen these uh, lanterns online. Uh, if you go to, I don't want to give them a free plug here, but maybe they'll send us some to, to play with. If you go to skylanterns.com, uh-huh. you can actually see video of what these are. And I, I can't imagine these things making a 5,000-mile trek. Uh, no, or to go high enough that, mm-hmm. that you could see them. And you can see for yourself what they look like. It's just not right. doesn't make any sense. Especially where this particular incident with the, the St. Augustine lights, we'll call them, uh, how they were also seen at pretty much the same time also over Germany as well. Correct. I mean, that's that, right. that just speaks to me as either something that's either able to move very fast mm-hmm. uh, or it's something that's able to somehow move in some sort of wormhole fashion from one location to another mm-hmm. or there's more than one group of them. That's right. And none of that really seems like Asian lanterns at a wedding celebration to me. No, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> I mean, I wish I'd had those lanterns at, at, at my wedding. They would have been nice, but... Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that uh, that could be what's causing all these reports. No, there, there are just so many. Uh, another one is Sebastian Inlet, which is south of here. Um, I'm working on that. We had a husband and wife sitting out on their dock by the Indian River, um, just sitting there around midnight, and a huge egg-shaped craft came out of the water, had strobe lights all around it, went up into the air, hovered just above the tree line, and then took off so fast it was gone in less than two seconds. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's not a lantern. No, <laughs> no that's not a lantern. Um, it, it's just unbelievable, and I, I have one that I'm following. I cannot give out the exact location, mm-hmm. except to say that it's Marin County off I-95 down here, and because it's ongoing, I can't give you any closer details, but sure. this, this individual is National Guard. Um, he's been stationed in Germany. He's come home, and right now he's working at night at a rest stop. And every single night for several nights now, he's watching three objects crisscrossing in the sky. He's been shining and playing with them, shining a flashlight at them. And when he does, they come in closer to him and get larger. And he's a little bit afraid at this point, but he hasn't stopped. I guess being National Guard, um, he's less fearful than some would be. Mm -hmm. So we're going to send someone out there to sit with him and to watch and they're always at the same time at night um, between certain hours and then when they disappear they disappear very rapidly and now working with MUFON what what's the procedure when you conduct an investigation into a report well um, our director James Carrion receives a report through MUFON.com you can actually um, 
tap into that on the computer, and then it says report a UFO, where you can fill out the forms. That then goes to my state director, who assigns the closest in- investigator. And once I get that investigation, then I begin to contact the individual, and we go from there. They can remain anonymous if they wish, and it stays right within the MUFON organization then. And, and about what percentage of these reports are you actually able to debunk? Um, we can actually debunk a great deal of them. When investigating a case is given a status code of identified flying object, a hoax, or unknown when we're through. Um, some of them are reopened later on. And we now have groups. They've been broken into teams by our new director. We now have a new group for abductees. Oh, okay. And that's become quite interesting. Um, so uh, probably the percentage of debunked, if I would say out of 100%, probably in the 80 percentile. Well, I mean, and while that may speak to some who say, you know, well, obviously there's something going on here, and, you know, 80% means that they're they're explaining things away too quickly. I mean, to be able to explain away 80%, to me, just lends that much more credibility to that remaining 20%. Right. And kind of a just as a uh, funny aside, um, about a month ago, it was in March, um, I got a call, and these people that had been down here from Michigan, had never been in Florida before, went to Disney with their kids, and they got really tired out and decided they'd come back to the hotel and get in the hot tub. And they were drinking just fruity little cocktails and having a good time. And pretty soon, from west to east across the sky, comes this bright object. And you might guess what I'm talking about real quickly. And they had a big light at one end glowing, two lights at the backside glowing, and all of a sudden, a big kaboom. And... They were taking video of it and talking about it, and they were sure it was a UFO. Well, it was our shuttle coming back to Earth. Well, I mean, it, it was a UFO, at least until they thought about it a little bit. Or <laughs> they didn't think about it. Well, that's they what happens wrote when you're and having a said, um, you can't get us on this one. We have video. <laughs> and to quote, we have both video and photographic evidence, and we shall not be ignored. And uh, we had a good laugh over it because I was here. My windows rattled. I heard it. We saw the glow. Uh, Very seldom does the shuttle uh, have the ability to come across the continent that way. Most of the time it comes down the coast. We don't get to hear the sonic booms. Mm -hmm. And these people were just in the right spot at the right time, and they were sure they had a UFO. So that was debunked immediately. But, I mean, to some people, though, once they have that experience, it's going to be hard for them to accept any kind of notion of debunking it. That's correct. Some just flat will not. Um, My first sighting was in 1967. I was in Gunnison, Colorado. There were at least eight witnesses, my husband and myself. Um, We were on the western slope, and we saw an object that was a pale gold. It was 270 feet long. 75 feet deep, and we watched it for over 20 minutes in the broad daylight. And and were you able to get anybody else to say that, you know, they saw the same thing? Oh, yes. And the funny thing was, up in that area, it was all college students going to Western State College. That's where my husband was attending. And we said, 
look at this, let's get excited, and none of us had cameras, all going to school, just barely making it, living in together in this apartment complex, and they said, oh, we've seen those before up here, hmm. was the response. And, and to them, it was almost uh, it was almost kind of like it was part of regular life. Uh-huh, that's so. right, it, it was, for them. And Gunnison is in the middle of nowhere, it had two cross streets at the time. So why is it, do you think, that they return to these same areas uh, frequently? I mean, is, is there some kind of rationale behind, you know, making frequent stops in the same place or targeting a certain location for an amount of time? It would just be a guess. Um, when they're coming out of the ocean, why are they coming out of the ocean? If they're around um, radio towers, which they were up there, our radio tower was out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? Um, there, there are many different areas that they seem to hang around, and then they disappear. All the hot spots come and go. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure. Um, it's just a fascinating and very, very widespread topic. Wow. And um, the experiences are just so many. Um, and our abductees, those are very difficult to uh, wade through. Um, I, I'm working on several right now, and, and it's interesting because the better ones are when you have more than one person, one individual with that. Um, I have a set of twins. One's so a fireman. Excuse me? And I said, so do I. Oh. I've been working closely with Bud Hopkins for the past about 15 years. Have you? Yes. And uh, one of the cases that I have is a set of twins that came from this area that I've known for a number of years. Uh, that's actually my specialty is multiples in uh, abduction. That is so fascinating. Uh, if you want some help with it, I can talk to you off the air, and I'll exchange some information that will probably help you. Oh, that would be just wonderful. The, yeah, these individuals, are they, they need to remain anonymous. One's a fireman, one's in computers, and one of them has a wife in the political arena. Ah. That's funny. My twins are female. Oh, are they? Yeah. Yeah, both of these are guys. Um, they were lost in the woods when they were young only because they went into play on the coast of Maine. Their father was military. They got a real strange feeling all of a sudden that they should go home. And they went running out of the woods to go home. And when they arrived there, funny thing, but the sun was coming up. Hmm. And they had gone in right after dinner. So a great deal of missing time there. great deal of missing time. And they would wake up at night to find themselves in a, a strange room that didn't look like their bedroom. It was round. And they would try to get out. And being twins, one would go one way around the room looking for a door or a way out. The other would go the other way, never finding the door. They would always end up going back to bed, sometimes waking up with their pajamas exchanged in different beds. Um, very interesting. Absolutely. Now, when you're doing one of these cases with the abductees, I mean, how much uh, mental health background do you have to do? A lot. We have to do a, uh, a check. I, I did background checks for the Navy for years, and so I kind of know what I'm doing there and what to look for. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be very, very careful and ask the right questions and do the right research. Because I know that uh, with a lot of people, if it if it's a matter of psychosis, then you're playing into it almost. Um, you have to walk a fine line there. You are, for sure. 
Um, it doesn't really take too long to find out in these cases, though. They really kind of give themselves away. Um, I don't know why, but it's pretty obvious and not too long a time. Um, these cases, though, when you've got twins, I've got a mother and daughter, um, and when you've got a, a mom and daughter having the same dreams that are identical, and then you say, okay, no more talking to each other. We'll just interview your dreams separately, and and mom gets a flashlight because she's frightened at night. And then daughter says, why do you have that flashlight, mom? You're going to hurt our visitors. Hmm. And then you start to say, well, what do the visitors look like? Can you can you describe, can you draw a picture? And this it's a 12-year-old girl, and what she's describing are grays. No, I was actually, I, I was on a different show earlier tonight, and I took a phone call from somebody who had a similar type experience uh, when her daughter was like eight or nine years old, and the mother remembered waking up and being outside and, and watching, you know, the, the searchlights of something, uh, which she felt was alien. And then the daughter waking up and having the same recollection of them both being outside and without having really discussed it, it was kind of the daughter came to her and mentioned it. Uh-huh. And that's fascinating. And, and how can this be a type of psychosis when you've got something like that? Um, it's just not. And the more you delve into it and the deeper you go and the more, uh, when they can draw pictures and when they have information um, that just matches up so tightly and they keep having this uh, over and over again, it's, it's repeated and, and they have marks on their bodies and, and there's um, evidence that you can collect. Um, strange fluid, they might wake up and find an amber-colored fluid on their pillows. They don't know where it came from leaves on their bed, um, nosebleeds, and, and they don't know where it came from. Just uh, a whole grouping of things that's very fascinating. And I think we're doing people a disservice. I mean, those who, those who um, immediately scoff at the idea of an abduction are doing a great disservice to these people and, and what it is that's been traumatizing them. It is. It's a disservice. And we're still trying to hide that and trying to keep it and not recognize it as a possibility. Well, I there's one explanation that I hear people, you know, toss out all the time. You know, it's it's that sleep paralysis syndrome that, you know, th that's what it is. And most people don't realize that, okay, in sleep paralysis, you're waking up from a dream state into a condition where your body is shut off naturally so you're not hurting yourself. Mm -hmm. With, with mm -hmm. these abduction cases, these people are able to get up, move around, and go through movement, and then are paralyzed. Mm -hmm. They're not immediately yeah. paralyzed when they first wake up. And th this immediately rules out sleep paralysis because if you're mm -hmm. able to move, throw the covers off, and then you get paralyzed, no, that's, not, that's so. not sleep paralysis. And what about the ones that have been taken in the daylight? Yeah, broad daylight out of their cars and stuff like that. If you're sleep, sleeping while you're driving it, you know. Hey, hey, I have a problem. Uh, I was going to say, uh, your name's Tim Weisberg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excuse me. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Just to, stay out of my lane if you see me driving. Trying to fix that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I can't blame that on the aliens. I'm, I'm sorry. That's, uh -oh. that's just all my own fault. <laughs> but, I mean, are you seeing, as we're seeing an increase in these uh, UFO activity uh, around Florida, are we seeing an increase in abductee uh, cases as well? Yes, 
like correlating directly to the times of these sightings, or is it just it just seems like there's more UFO activity overall? More UFO activity overall, more abductee cases. Um, it's it's all happening at once. I have these cases right in front of me now. Those are the ones I'm working on, and they all came in at once. Wow. And, and I, I know that you must have your hands full, and I'm, I'm sure that it's it's getting overwhelming, but hopefully more investigators are joining in and, and pitching in to lend a hand. I mean, maybe chapters from other states or... Well, we have others. Like I said, it just happened at the present time that um, a couple of the other investigators became overloaded. Um, I have someone that I can ask to help me here that's an investigator, and I usually do. I call her in, um, and she can attend with me, and we can do, you know, search for radiation. We have all kinds of equipment that we can use. We can call in other scientists, um, depending on how deep the research needs to go. But... Um, it just it it filled us up this time. Well, you got another scientist here that has years worth of experience, willing to lend a hand to you if you need it. Oh, wonderful! That's wonderful. Yeah, we'll, def- we'll definitely make sure we uh, hook you guys up with each other's email addresses and everything off here. Well, that would be fantastic. And so we want to thank you, Denise, for joining us tonight and giving us shedding a little bit of light, at least, of what's going on down there in Florida. Oh, and, you're welcome. And please, please keep us up to date with these reports that are going on because we don't want to have to just trust the media reports to get our information. That's true. I've told it just like it is and, and not added anything to it. I read right from my reports for you. All right. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again real soon. Oh, thanks for asking me. All right, thank you very much, and good luck with getting all these cases under control. Okay, and uh, good night now. Have a good night. Uh Uh-huh. That is Denise Stoner, the MUFON State Section Director down in Orange County, Florida. And, of course, MUFON's website is MUFON.com, and it's a great site to go go to if you have, even if you're curious about what's going on and you want to find it a little bit more. Uh, These are people that you'll come to find are in your own neighborhoods and your own towns and counties who can actually give you information. Just like, you know, if you're interested in ghosts and you want to hook up with a local paranormal investigative group, MUFON, for the most part, is a a well-organized group that actually has their standards and protocols, and you can, you know, learn from them and learn what it is that they do. Uh, So just go to MUFON.com, and you can find your local chapter as well. And uh, Matt Moniz uh, has years of dealing with various chapters of MUFON, and, and I know he strongly supports them. Yeah, they're actually a fairly good organization. All right, well, that about does it for this first hour. When we come back on the other side, we will talk to Peter Robbins, who uh, you know him as the co-author of Left at Eastgate, and he's going to join us to share in some of these other locations uh, where there's been UFO sightings going on. And we'll uh, talk about Phoenix, Arizona, where there's been the return of the Phoenix Lights. Actually, March 13th, 1997 was the originals, and now last week uh, is the new Phoenix Lights. We'll talk about those. We'll find out what's going on. Is it something as simple as a, as a helium-filled balloon with a lit road flare at the end of it? I'll tell you what, Jeff Belanger doesn't think so. He <laughs> thinks that it's crazy, and uh, I think he might be right. So we will be back in just a few minutes after the news with a whole another hour of Spooky South Coast. So stay tuned for more of that in just a few. We'll be right back. supernatural is 
back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. It's uh, it's actually Sunday now, but that's fine with us. We would like to keep talking to you all week long if we could, but since we can't, you can always get a hold of us all week long by going to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, you can also get a hold of us, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast, or you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Hey, Matt, how's things going with the new Spooky South Coast store on SpookySouthCoast.com? Amazing. Really? No. Okay. Well, if people are looking to get, you know, items related to the paranormal, whether it be books or DVDs or, you know, any any of the fine publications by our, our guests here on Spooky South Coast, or maybe yep. they want to get a Spooky South Coast t-shirt or something. They have all sorts of stuff, though. Yeah, just go a to the store range. link. And, and, and everything helps us keep doing what we're doing. Oh, yeah. Because uh, Lord knows the station's not paying us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> radio ain't as lucrative as it used to nope. be. Uh, we don't have any lucrative sponsorship deals with uh, any radio companies who who create overpriced radios. Yeah. They say it's a dying media. I don't know about that. I don't believe that. Know. Let's prove them wrong. I don't believe it at all. And uh, <laughs> we're dying right now, but <laughs> not the media. Well, a couple of things we want to let everybody know about. Uh, one thing is uh, there are still some tickets available for the Paranormal Exploration of the Mount Washington Hotel, August 23rd to the 26th. It's featured in Season 4 of Ghost Hunters. The Mount Washington Hotel is a stunning building set amongst the beautiful backdrop of New Hampshire's Bretton Woods. Built in 1902, known for its elegant atmosphere and Spanish Spanish Renaissance revival architecture, this historical hotel seems to have something else up its sleeve. From the ghost of a princess who supposedly writes on walls, to mysterious sounds of babies crying, to a malevolent woman said to haunt room 206, local legends and lore abound here. And now Taps, you know Taps, the guys from... Ghost Hunters and Beyond Reality Radio. They are hosting the event there, their first ever Beyond Reality event. And uh, they're, gonna, they're all going to be there. I mean, Jason Grant, Steve Gonzalez, Dave Tango, Chris Williams, Kristen Gartland, along with a whole slew of people in the paranormal field that you'll want to hear from. Uh, Bill Burns of UFO Hunters and the publisher of UFO Magazine. Uh, Professor Paranormal himself, Lloyd Auerbach. Some guy named Jeff Belanger whose new book, Weird Massachusetts, is now available at newsstands, uh, I'm sorry, at bookstores. So get out there and grab it. We're going to have Jeff on coming up real soon to talk about Weird Massachusetts. Also, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, demonologist Adam Bly, uh, Freddie Silva, who is known for crop circle research, uh, Charlie McCracken and Travis Short, a couple of filmmakers, comedian Mike Brody, psychic Tiffany Johnson, and Chip Coffey, as well as uh, TAPS family director Britt Griffith and uh, Beyond Reality producer Amy Bruni. So if you'd like to find out more, go to beyondrealityevents.com. I know, Moniz, you're probably going to head up there for that. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually thinking about possibly planning a, a family vacation around it. That's the great thing about being up there in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. You can plan a family vacation around this Beyond Reality event. So just go to their website and snatch up those tickets while they are still left because they won't be around much longer. You know what else isn't going to be around much longer? Us, if we don't get this show moving. (laughs) So let's get to the week in weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today. It was a wonderful weird stuff. The Week in Weird. And I just want to point out that's a way longer promo for the Beyond Reality event than I did on their show. Yes. That's like four and a half minutes longer than the one I gave them, so... 
We'll have to start charging them for the advertising time. All right, now to the Weekend Weird. I have one short story, but it's pretty darn weird. From showbizspy.com, Heath Ledger's former fiance Michelle Williams, claims she's being haunted by the tragic actor's ghost. Too soon, Matt? Too soon. Too soon. Williams told friends that Heath, who died at age 28 of an accidental drug overdose in January, had twice visited her, visited her as a, quote, shadowy apparition. The first time, she was woken at night after hearing furniture move, and in another visitation, she said the Brokeback Mountain star apologized to her for not being there to help raise their two-year-old daughter, Matilda. Williams, 27, claimed the hauntings have helped her grieve. So there you go, the spirit of Heath Ledger is haunting Michelle Williams. I really... This is usually the time of the story where I come up with a funny I'm still thing, mourning. But yeah, it might be too soon. I'm still mourning over... There's, and, uh, you know, they mentioned Brokeback Mountain. There's is there no joke in that. There's nobody shadowy, has a nobody has Brokeback Mountain. apparitions. Eh, I, I got mm. nothing. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, it's too soon. <laughs> All right, Mac Hoss, what do you have for us? Right. See, this is what happens when you do another radio show. I do. I peter <laughs> out. I'm totally petered <laughs> out by our show. All right, uh, from MSNBC. Famed astrophysicist Stephen Hawking has been thinking a lot about the cosmic question, are we alone? The answer is probably not, so he says. If there is life elsewhere in the universe, Hawking asks, why haven't we stumbled upon some alien broadcast in space? Maybe something like alien quiz shows. Hawking comments, we were part... You bet your glorp. (laughs) Glorp? Uh... Hawking's comments were part of a lecture at George Washington University on Monday in honor of NASA's 50th anniversary. He theorized that there are many possible answers to whether there there is extraterrestrial life. One option is that there likely isn't any life anywhere, aside from him. Oh, Seth, they were getting all metaphysical (laughs) and existential on us. Or maybe there is intelligent life elsewhere, but when it gets smart enough to send signals to space... It also is smart enough to make destructive nuclear weapons. Hawking said he prefers the third option. Primitive life is very common and intelligent life is very rare. He added some would say it has not yet occurred on Earth. Uh Aha, I probably agree. You know, I have to say for a guy who's in a wheelchair, he sure is sitting on a fence there, isn't he? Oh, it gets better. Okay. Okay. This is Stephen Hawking saying this. Well... well, his voice box. <laughs> but uh, alien abduction claims come from weirdos and are unlikely, he says. So, weirdos. Case of the pot calling <laughs> the kettle black. <laughs> However, because alien life might not have, have DNA like us, Hawking warned, if you do meet an alien, you could be infected with a de- disease that you may not have a resistance to. The 66-year-old British cos- cosmologist, I almost said cosmetologist, <laughs> I don't think he'd do a good job at that. <laughs> he doesn't pass points. Give him a pair of scissors. <laughs> be like my grandma at the moment. <laughs> that lady in airplane. <laughs> Blaine has a very strict admissions uh, procedure. Uh, we're all pretty confident we can outrun our wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> we're also sure that we never want to have Stephen Hawking on the show, aren't we? Guess so. Uh, of course, we could just run a computer and type in some tenses. Nobody know the difference. All right, where am I? 
I've been asking myself that since I arrived here. Uh, right. <laughs> Hawking believes if the human race is, is to continue for another million years, we will have to boldly go where no one has gone before. Hawking compared people who don't want to spend money on uh, human exploration to those who opposed the journey of Christopher Columbus in 1492. That's it. You know, we're not very good readers. No. Well, don't not. forget that. That's what we were told last week. Um, so. No letters. And here we are trashing Stephen Hawking while we're trying to read news stories. That's right. He was on The Simpsons. He was. He's, he's done guest vocals on Pink Floyd albums. Have we done that? <laughs> no, we haven't. Well, maybe Matt Moniz has. I don't know. You ever on a Pink Floyd album? As a matter of fact, it's all dark. Okay. You can read your story. We'll just leave that at that. A giant cloud of thousands of bees mysteriously appeared and began to swirl in a tornado pattern around a central Florida Mexican restaurant. My biggest fear, by the way, bees. Bees can mess your day up, enough of them, yeah. My biggest fear is dogs with bees in the mouth, so when they bark, <laughs> bees fly out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Customers at Oxy's restaurant located near Highway 17 and 192 in Plymouth Ave and uh, Dylan said that they noticed a cloud in the sky and thought it was raining. Then they realized the cloud was a swarm of bees. A lot of people said it was bees and ran to their cars, restaurant owner Oxy Onchanaya said. It was scary. I panicked and I didn't know what to do. Witnesses said the bees began to swirl like a tornado and menaced the customers Thursday. I looked and it was like a tornado of bees just all around our parking lot, swarming, said a restaurant worker. Who refused to be identified because he's illegal. <laughs> well, with the name of Marie Olsen, <laughs> unless she's from, you know, Oslo, Norway or something. Just trying, just trying <laughs> to make the story devolve as the others had. Okay. A crowd formed at a distance to watch the cl- cloud of bees. It was crazy, Olson said. I was shocked and I was surprised to see it. I didn't know where they were coming from. And so it was amazing to see that they were actually like that. It was awesome, uh, according to Miss Olson. Uh, state bee experts said the bees, which were moving from tree to tree, now resting because they had formed two huge C-shaped swarms in the tree. Experts said the bees would likely move out in about 24 hours after forming cones. However, Oshania called beekeepers to remove the cones from the nearby trees Thursday night. I don't know. They actually had a, um, a fundraiser plan to try to raise money for the relocation of the bees. They recorded a charity single. Oh, no. Yeah, they... It's raining bees. Yeah. Oh gosh. I thought you were gonna say hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's raining bees. <laughs> it's all downhill after midnight. <laughs> all downhill. We're like we're like gremlins, you know. Uh, you don't let us eat after midnight. You don't let us in front of microphones after midnight. But that is the weak and weird. Uh, if you would. And if we use it on the air, we will send you of its raining bees as well as a bumper sticker. The song by B. Arthur. <laughs> I was thinking the BGs. The BGs with the B-52s. It's like <laughs> a super group.
Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I'm getting my bumpers confused, Matt. I'm getting my bumpers all mixed up. Well, there's only like three left in the computer, right? Yeah. So we'll have to remedy that. We'll have to have you produce some more. What have you been doing? I don't know. Hey, slacking. Yeah. I had to update the website today. <laughs> it's probably a But uh, if you go to up. if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and it continues to work, hey, you're lucky. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we get back on topic here? We are talking about the latest string of UFO sightings as well as just UFOs in general. And if you'd like to call in and share, maybe you've had a UFO experience or you have some questions about them, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. But right now we are going to be joined by author and UFO investigator Peter Robbins, who is the co-author of Left at Eastgate about the Bentwaters incident. Uh, and, Peter, we've talked about that in the past here, and it's and as I said to you earlier tonight, it's still just it's one of those cases that ranks right up there with Roswell in terms of you, you just can't turn your back on this case. The, the facts are so compelling and the testimony is so compelling that there's definitely something going on there. Yeah, this one is never going away, I think. Is there new research that you can... I mean, I know you've turned over every stone in the nine years you spent putting the book together and in the years since, but is, is there still people who are coming forward? I know uh, you've mentioned that Colonel Halt still has some other tapes. Um, yes, and I expect there are other bits and pieces out there and witnesses who have come forward who have not been completely forthcoming. Um, let's face it, this case has literally everything involved in it um ground to air sightings uh confirmed by radar illegal nuclear weaponry documented physiological change to organic material in the landing zones burns to the retina of my co-author's eyes air force medical records air force regular records uh confirmations of the beams of light shot down to the ground um it goes on and on also animal reactions abduction um, and God knows post-traumatic stress disorder. And is there still today uh, where there's some of these UFO sightings, are we still finding out that some of them are tied into these you know, secret nuclear arsenals? Well, um, I can't say that for sure, mm -hmm. but we still statistically can say with confidence that areas where nuclear weaponry is stored and where nuclear power is generated and more nuclear research is conducted um, do tend to have a higher incidence of legitimate confirmed UFO sightings and I think if our places were switched around with these other intelligences um, this would be an area of concern for us to keep an eye on and it just seems like you know if they're on to us then uh, maybe we're not so secretive as we think we are well that may well be true and um, the fact is you can go all the way back. Um, the first declassified, fully serious secret paper generated by the military was Project Sign. I know Matt's familiar with it. Yep. And it's a, it, it's a very sweeping uh, report, and a lot of it is in standard militaries. But toward the end, um, it's one of the most fascinating passages I've ever read in a classified document where they've exhausted all the conventional possibilities and they finally say spaceships 
what if, and in very clear, concise terms. And remember, this is 1948. They're saying uh, why not only should we not be surprised if they are machines from other places under intelligent control, we should above all else right now expect this. A few years ago, for the very first time in the history of you know humanity on Earth that we know of, we did something here that could be viewed and measured in outer space. And, of course, it was the beginning of detonating nuclear weaponry. And, yes, uh, we should be expecting to uh, see them. They know that we're mentally um, war-geared, and in a 100 years we'll be out in the star systems with... Uh, Advanced weaponry and our same um, murderous human psychology. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm paraphrasing here, mm -hmm. but I think that document was prophetic, and I don't think anything has really changed right since then. Although they did change the same study afterwards to Project Grudge. Well, that was for release to the public. And, of course, the name has no connection with their attitude. Of course not. <laughs> is I mean, is this... Uh you're right, though. I mean, that is the prevailing human attitude. Uh, well, well, that report is right. Um, I mean, and when I say us, I mean us, mm -hmm. the Americans. We are still involved in, um, well, as a priority activity for our government in killing people over where the line is drawn in the dirt. And this, of course, addresses a larger issue of nationalism. And our, our friend and colleague Stan Friedman has spoken on that very eloquently, that Right now, we live in a time where most people alive, you know, certainly anybody 30 or 40 and younger, was never alive uh, and has no memory of any time when there wasn't a space program. And as a result, um, younger people may tend to think of themselves, God forbid, as citizens of this planet before they think of themselves as Americans, Canadians, uh, Indians, or whatever. And that would be the kiss of death for the old-fashioned, you know, 19th century militaristic, uh, you are, you know, your country is the best, and where our line is drawn in the dirt, you know, we've got to, if anybody looks at it cross-eyed, we've got to kill them. Uh, again, I'm, I'm being kind of general here, mm -hmm. but this is what we still do, and it still makes us um, a very wary ally if somebody's looking out there at us and hoping for a little bit of development beyond weaponry well i'm just thinking though i mean if they're watching us because you know we have the capability of essentially carrying nuclear weapons off this planet and you know potentially into wherever these beings are uh I, I tend to think that if we could just make that contact, I look at things like through the Star Trek first contact approach, where once we find out that there is something out there and there is something greater than us, I think it will harmonize mankind more than anything. You know, Ultimately, I, I think to Western culture um, that there are elements, and um, with all due respect to all of our brothers and sisters who follow their religions very strictly. Um, there are fundamentalists in every religion, and there are people who are rather inflexible about interpreting their holy books. It is simply the way it is. And let's just say by example, um, I went to a friend of mine who's, you know, a, a decent, loving, practicing Christian person, but very rigid about their interpretation of the New and Old Testament. I said, listen, 
I just wanted to suggest as a possibility, with all due respect, that perhaps in the Old Testament, if we go to Ezekiel and we study this description of this metallic wheel with eyes all around coming out of the... understandable misunderstanding of an extraterrestrial or an interdimensional whatever the heck kind of intervention rather than a theological miraculous apparition now if you question your faith is just that it's about believing in something you can't prove and if you were to let it crack by even considering this as a possibility you know it could for certain individuals, it, it could result in a breakdown or a total crisis of faith rather than, oh, yeah, I guess that is possible, and um, never saw that before. It's not going to be the attitude that most folks are going to come from in that moment. I actually worry more about those who are so ardent, ardently against the idea of UFOs or, in some cases, anything paranormal yeah. and, and just the breakdowns that they'll all have. Well, let's remember you know, that all fear is fear of the unknown, and I guess fear of life on other planets, and, you know, if we're made in God's image, who the heck are, image are they made in? Um, but I would guess right up there next to fear of death is fears that revolve around concerns that maybe we're not the biggest flea on the back of the great cosmic dog. And, you know, the picture that all of our theologies and belief systems uh, and even nature studies uh, lead us to believe that we are the ranking species on this planet may simply not be true. And if you don't have anything, but you're human, you can say, well, you know, I'm a guy, and uh, at least I'm more sophisticated than um, a turtle. Well, one wonders sometimes, but um, <laughs> if you take that away from people also, we can only imagine some of the results, and I'm guessing somewhere somebody is, you know, tallying up psychological studies to yet once again bring to figures in authority and say, hmm, I don't think we're ready yet, especially right now with these tiny little problems that we seem to have in the Middle East. Well, you know, looking at some of these UFO sightings that have been going on over the last couple of months, mm. and between, you know, Stephenville, Texas, we yeah. have the ones in Florida, Phoenix, and then Linda Moulton Howe is reporting on earthfiles.com about sightings in Indiana, Massachusetts, Illinois. I mean, th this is pretty widespread over the entire country here. Uh, are we, are they trying to get us ready for something, do you think? Or are they trying to get us closer to being ready to accept something? Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, in all the years I've been doing this, uh, I've seen a lot of colleagues go into sort of false hopes as we have a spate of uh, seemingly respectable sightings and trying to ascribe uh, some meaning to, you know, uh, that there's a bunch coming at one time, and surely this may be the time where things begin to turn around. Maybe they're operating independently. Um, Maybe, you know, uh, the reports are just making their way to major media more because witnesses are more numerous and more credible or, you know, somebody's there with a video cam. But um, I wouldn't hold my breath that this is kind of signaling uh, disclosure or anything like that. 
Um, let's take a look at Stevensville for a moment. That's the case, of course, that happened in Texas some months back. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a terrific case, and uh, people like Jim Mars, who is down in Texas, and Nick Redfern were right on the case, and certainly uh, the witnesses who we saw on Larry King a couple of months ago were all just what you'd hope they'd be, people without effect or uh, seemingly without any angle. To the best of my knowledge, as is usually the case, none of these eyewitnesses really looks like they're having a great time on national TV. They're not getting paid. They don't have a secret agenda to be on Oprah or write a best-selling book. And when they look in the camera, and in Stevensville, this was part of it, and they say, the thing I saw was not some amorphous cloud formation or a reflection from the ground or something that I've remotely ever seen before. Whatever it was, was a huge seeming machine-type craft, and it was a mile long. Or if I'm misjudging it, it was half a mile long. But that's what it was. Um, I mean, how much more does anybody need except for maybe the carburetor from the thing and a thumb <laughs> of an alien and, you know, George, George Bush's signature on it? Um, I'm, I'm almost, uh, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm almost more impressed by people's ability to deny what they can't accept or deal with or evade it um, than the phenomena itself. We're remarkable creatures as far as not going there. If we don't want to go there, we're not going to cross that line. And, you know, uh, we'll attack the witness before we accept what they're going to say or give the evidence a fair shake if it's too terrifying for us or the implications are too terrifying for us. It's something that puts us out of the center. I mean, you're, you hit the nail right on the head, Peter. It's like the person trying to, you know, deny that their partner is having an affair. They'll, they'll go through every type of yeah. denial. You know, it's something that is a personal effect to them. So they try and shield their inner psyche from, from this onslaught by denying. Then there are also those two who, you know, every time something happens, they think that somebody's having an affair too, and that's that's the problem. Is you, when you don't have that balance, and it's you're talking about extremes. Yeah, that's uh, where but a lot look, of. But look, what we're talking about humans. Humans are creatures of extreme. Mm-hmm. That's true. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I don't know what we'll ever know for sure about these other intelligences. For me, the focus of my work has remained the impact that it has on people. And that we can make observations and, and certainly uh, learn from. Obviously, there are specialists in the work who have given a, a, a genuine sense of this other presence and what they may be doing here, um, or varieties of them. But still, you know, we're like kids in a dark room. We're just feeling our way along, trying to make deductive uh, guesses that, you know, line up with what we're getting in the way of data. Um, it's an inexact science, to put it mildly. Absolutely. Well, why don't we take our last break of the night, and if you'd like to join in the discussion with Peter Robbins, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Maybe you've had a UFO encounter or just some questions about UFOs in general and the experiences that people have reported. Uh, we'll be right back in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast.
Hello. Hey, man. What? You up? No. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. All w- up way past our bedtimes, but we have to because we need to bring in this information about UFOs. And who knows when we could be on the air again with the Celtics uh, losing tonight. Uh, hopefully they can wrap the series up soon and, and then we can move on to the next round. But if you're not sure if we're going to be on the air, then just go to SpookySouthCoast.com. We've made a few repairs to the front page. The new link is working now which should lead you directly to the live stream. I know that I told people the problem the last couple of weeks was because uh, with sports, the live stream wasn't on. Now we know that it's on. The problem was that the link was incorrect. They had changed the uh, services for for the live stream. But now we think we've got it all up to date. Matt, you got it working? So far, so good. Okay. You tested it out and everything was cool? No complaints. Usually we get a couple of emails. Or a couple of phone calls over on the air. So. So. Although they probably went to bed at like 10.30, (laughs) figuring we weren't going to be on tonight. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, we are talking with Peter Robbins, co-author of Left at Eastgate and a paranormal, I'm sorry, a UFO researcher for over 25 years. And and Peter, we, we had a, a great conversation earlier tonight on the other show, which we can say beyond yeah. reality yeah. because they're on a sister station here. And uh, we actually got some phone calls uh, after we were done talking with you of people sharing their personal experiences uh. and, and sharing uh, some of their uh, beliefs, but they also had some questions, and I just I want to make sure that we can address some of those questions here as well while we have you uh, back on with us. Absolutely. And one of the questions somebody wanted to know was uh, why is it that they seem you know these UFOs seem to concentrate over an area for a while and then disappear? And I tried to express that that's not necessarily the case, especially for you know repeat abductees. But do you see a lot of instances where they, they culminate in an area for a while and then they just go away and they're not seen in that area again? Yeah, historically, um, there are concentration kind of cases like that. I think the operative phrase here may be seems. Um, they, they do seem to have technological abilities that to us resemble magic, that they may be here but not visible or unable for us to pick up by conventional uh, tracing methods like radar. Um, I don't know really the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, seems has a lot to do with it. I mean, that was pretty much the point that I tried to make was that, you know, we don't know what's going on just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there type of situation. You know, it's kind of like it comes to the forefront when it needs to and then fades back into, you know, just a watching state. Yes, I, I think that may well be the case. They, they could be flying over us right now, and we might never know until they decide to, to make it known. Indeed. And one of the other questions somebody had was uh, with these abductions and the fact that, you know, most people seem to report greys when they're being abducted, but others have reported other types of species. Uh, how many different types of species have we gotten reports of? I know that yeah, Considering right. the size of the universe, it could be an infinite number of how many there are. But, I mean, how many different types do we, do we get repeat reports of? I don't know. My favorite model for that is uh, the wonderful bar scene in the original Star Wars movie. Sure. Um, or all of the wonderful aliens we met 
in Men in Black. Again, I'm using kind of comedic examples here, mm -hmm. but we can only guess. Um, in all the years, I worked really closely with Bud Hopkins and was right there as hundreds of reports came in. Um, I would have to say, and this is a very informal statistic, 75, 80% maybe of the abduction scenarios involved archetypical grays, as we know them from popular culture and UFO research. And the other 20, 25% varied wildly from decidedly humanoid types to um, a handful of extreme, almost, well, I don't know what to call them, just variations that come up once or twice and that we never hear of again. Uh, I, I know there are people that specialize in research around so-called reptilian types. I've only been privy to a handful of cases involving such descriptions. Um, but, yeah, the great majority of them from where I've sat have been uh, primarily gray-type events and then a smaller percentage uh, devoted to wildly varying types, almost anything that one could imagine. There seems to be, at least in what I've read, and obviously I haven't done nearly the research that yourself or Matt Moniz has done, but I do seem to see a lot of these go back to the to the humanoid types with the Norse characteristics or those with the Asian characteristics? Well, that's, sort of, that's certainly part of the lore, mythology, and legend of ufology. Um, and frankly, I find the reality, the notion of otherworldly beings who look exactly like us, if anything, almost more unnerving than, you know, big, scaly, giant science fiction creatures that are fairly easy to spot at a distance. Sure, they walk amongst um, us. Damned if I know, once again, I, I'm in a better position to ask maybe better thought-out questions than most people, but I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Right, and Matt, what, what do you think? I mean... Just if you had to take a stab at the different I read species. something recently that uh, somebody did a, an interview with various researchers, and they cataloged something like 80 different species that have been consistently reported. Mm -hmm. As Peter said, there's been some, and I've been hanging out with him, Peter, as you know, for a number of years as well as Bud. Uh -huh. And we, we've we seen some of the wild reports of almost like jellyfish type of reports. I was going to say, what's the wildest report that you can remember? But that's what I'm saying. They're, they're, when, Peter, when Peter's saying, you know, almost unclassifiable, the drawings and the descriptions that they include are truly that. I mean, it's hard to put them in a classification. And let's but, also remember that time after time after time in the best documented cases it seems impossible to conclude anything but that these intelligences have tremendous power to cloud our minds, to create false imagery, to present themselves as something they are not. And then there's another factor that's normally not factored into it, which is good old dynamics of human physiological shock. If you have never had so-called conscious type experience of waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a glowing gray alien at the foot of your bed, you might go into a mild case of denial. 
and if it was informed by enough anxiety, fear, um, associations with who knows what, you might actually look at X and see why. So there are a number of factors here. Um, I mean, people have joked with me over the years about have I ever been abducted, and I have to think to myself, if I had, I would expect something would have shaken it loose in the last 25 or 30 years, especially with the work that I do. Mm -hmm. And I also think if I had any memory of it and wasn't talking about it, I would have never gotten into this field. These things make me anxious. You know, I, I'm... Um, a regular human being here, and I, I think one of the things that allows me to do the work is, uh, to the degree that I have, has been never being so overwhelmingly shocked by the reality of it that I've sort of frozen or wanted to walk away from it. It's still tremendously uh, fascinating to me, and I imagine always will be. Well, it started from when you and your sister were younger, were very young kids. Yeah, something. you know that story, Matt. Yes, I do. He had a tremendous sighting, and I've, Helen, of course, was very outspoken about her abduction experiences, and that's what got me into this work literally overnight years ago. Uh, and we did have a very impelling sighting together as children, which uh, I, I certainly remember. Um, again, we all approach this subject from different angles. Most of the best researchers that I knew got in it for the reason that they have a strong intellectual curiosity and are open-minded and are smart enough to know when a deception is being, you know, played out. Um, but, yeah, for me, when people say, do you believe in UFOs, it's like saying, do you believe in chairs? Um, I remember seeing them as much as I'm going to remember having had this conversation with you tomorrow. Um, it's just the way it is, and what they are or what they represent, I, I don't claim to know. But, yeah, we're not alone. There's something else going on there, and where they're from and what they want is uh, certainly open to debate. Uh, earlier this evening, uh, Jeff Belanger and I were having a discussion about whether or not UFOs can, in these abduction experiences, can kind of be avatars for other uh, traumatic experiences, whether or not when somebody has uh, an abuse situation or, uh, you know, if they're abducted by another human being or cult abuse or, or something un falling under these categories and they kind of create the abduction, UFO abduction scenario to cover that trauma. Uh, but then also it can be likewise, you know, where they could have that UFO abduction experience and they start to try to explain it away as something else. Well, um, I think you bring up a very good point, and it's one that the mental health community has put forward uh, to rationalize or better understand or, in some cases, try to explain away uh, this phenomena. Um, I'm sure all of the cases that you gave are possible and very likely have happened. I can tell you for a fact, of course not giving any names, that... Uh, Bud and the Intruders Foundation and researchers who I think the world of, not to mention their methodology and their humanity, have worked with absolutely authentic cases where the person also has, um, sadly, um, episodes or a history of sexual abuse in childhood. Or they may have uh, become a drug addict over the years in part to deal with um, keeping uh, their anxiety or, or coming to grips with this experience. Um, one thing doesn't negate the other. You can have somebody who's been 
through this abduction experience who may completely independently um, be deemed mentally ill by you know conventional mental health professionals because they are. Um, but as a professor uh, that I studied with at NYU said to me years ago, you don't have to be a paranoid to know that somebody is following you. Um, I guess the best example I can give is when we started to publish, we, the um, abduction-related UFO research community, around certain aspects of cases we were seeing repeatedly, the bedroom abduction scenario often includes uh, a feeling that you can't move in bed before this experience, and there is a condition. Um, um, sleep paralysis. Exactly, um, sleep paralysis, and it does mimic that aspect of that part of abduction. But I already mentioned the earlier, Peter. Sleep paralysis is the abduction experience. This is like saying that all of those security police in the woods involved in the Rendlesham Forest incident, highly trained military personnel in a very, very uh, high-tension military situation, saw the light of a, um, a lighthouse coming through the woods at intervals uh, from 10 miles away and um, a, a light on a police car, and they were so upset they confused these things. Well, that's not just laughable, it's insulting. And, um, you know, same for the abduction phenomena. It is not, if it was just sleep paralysis, well, question solved, except for all those pesky scars, multiple witnesses, family histories, implants, etc., and so forth. Well, you also got the people taken during the day, which if they're sleeping like Tim does while they're driving, that's another story. <laughs> or the, the other, as you know, Peter, most of the people, when they're reporting these abduction experiences, they're talking about waking up, moving the covers, throwing pillows before the abduction starts. With sleep yeah. paralysis, you're immobile before you're able to do anything, whereas in, in most of these abduction cases, people try and get away and do something before they get paralyzed. So if you're you know, and using sleep paralysis as an excuse, that just doesn't hold water well, if you follow right. the reports, correct? It is absolutely documented, and um, there is no way around that. We are still stuck with the same problems and allegations, no matter how much mental health professionals of a certain ilk would like that to be uh, the end game, but it's not. And if you study dreams at all, too, I mean, basically when we have uh, severely traumatic experiences in our dreams, it tends to wake us, wake us up. And so if you're going to actually go through with an entire dream state situation where you're actually you know, imagining this whole thing, at some point you would wake up. Uh, you wouldn't go through a lot of what these people are reporting of having happened to them uh, solely in a dream state and then, as Peter pointed out, and then wake up with these scars and implants to prove it. Well, as a lot of these people have said to me, and I've heard uh, you know, I don't know how many times, I've never been more awake in my life. When, <laughs> you, am, am I misquoting some of these people, no, Peter? No, I, I think um, <laughs> that, that's very accurately characterized. When my sister discussed her memories, she referred to it, and I may be off by a word, but... Um, as a reoccurring, super real dream that wasn't a dream. Um, this is not that. And for people that are open-minded but listening to us talk and saying, well, you know, 
people are open to, they just want to feel special, or there must be something else to explain it. I mean, you know, look at the non-extraterrestrial-related anomalies um, that are so in dispute. Um, the people who legitimately, and this is not a con or um, some kind of nonsense, but there are people, very religious um, Catholics overall and best documented in the Philippines, um, who start to bleed from the signs of the cross uh, around Easter. Um, again, this is a documented phenomena. I, I'm damned if I know what to make of it because it's not an area of specialty research for me. But strange stuff happens. And I don't know. For me, the folks who uh, make me shake my head are the ones that say, we are alone in the universe. And because of that, all of this is nonsense. First, how can anybody possibly know the unknowable? How can somebody know that every single UFO report that has ever been turned in is um, either the result of a, a, a somewhat lost mind or a prankster or a misinterpretation of conventional phenomena? There's an intellectual arrogance to that which is mind-boggling, not to mention that even the most conservative scientific minds put out these estimates repeatedly that there may be a billion or several billion planets that can sustain life out here and out there. Um, what are the odds that we are the only primordial soup that grew into something a little bit more than one-celled amoeba? I'd say they're pretty darn good. And again, this mindset that says it can't be that way because, you know, my religious teachings or my logical mind or what I've learned from, you know, school or society. And then there's another one, such a big secret could never be covered up. Or if this was real, we'd all know by now. Well, nice logical thinking, but it's not the way it works. Secrets can and are kept regularly at very high levels um, and there are no leaks. And if there are, what happens to the leaks? Um, they get plugged. It gets written up and published in, you know, a, a peer publication where 300 people read it. Or it's an article that's posted on, you know, a UFO website on the Internet. Or somebody does a talk at a conference that 300 people attend. Um, this is not going to change the world. And, in fact, I think this is an area where, barring the unforeseen, in the form of, you know, an announcement from Earth authorities or in, as that great old sci-fi miniseries um, that was on CBS in the early 80s with the lizard people that all look like um, supermodels. Um, uh, the great V. Yes, V. I thought V overall was like any World War II resistance movie we have ever seen in our life, except that we had repti reptilian aliens instead of Nazis as the enemy. However, it had one of the greatest beginnings of any fictional um, epic dealing with this I've ever seen. The very simple premise that huge craft a mile or so across come in and just hover over the 50 largest cities in the world. That would change things fairly quickly. It would change things very quickly if they just hovered over one. I think so. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, and, and everybody wants their own. You know how it is. Yeah, 
But look at UFO uh, fiction. I mean, basically, you know, you look at things like the day the Earth stood still, Independence Day. Yeah. You know, these are reflective of what it would take, like you said, to, to make us sit up and take notice. I think you're right, and I think great science fiction points back to um, great science challenges and great science facts of the future. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Peter, we're just about out of time, but uh, I know uh, that you are heading to Roswell this year. We were talking about that earlier, but why don't you just uh, let everybody know about the, the role you'll be serving this year? Yeah, um, the city of Roswell, New Mexico, I'm very proud to say, has hired me, gosh, um, to consult with them on increasing tourism over the next years. But my um, main job right now for the city is as coordinator of their 2008 UFO Festival and Conference. It's the July 4th weekend. There will be a million things to do in here. Please join us if you can. Information is available at these two websites, ufofestivalroswell.com and roswellnmufoconference.com. That NM is for New Mexico. Again, ufofestivalroswell.com, roswellnmufoconference.com. Join me in July and... Introduce yourself, for goodness sakes. Right, and we will definitely put links up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Great. Thank you very much, Peter Robbins, for joining us tonight. And we'll be talking to you real soon, I'm sure, as more and more of these UFO reports keep popping up in the news. I hope so. Always a pleasure to hang out with you guys. Thanks, Peter. Okay, brother. Have a good night. You too. All right. Peter Robbins, and of course, you can get his book, Left at Eastgate, that he co-authored with Larry Warren, by going to the shop at SpookySouthCoast.com and click on the book section, and uh, we have it listed there. So, I, I mean, I'm just, the more of these stories that come out into the news and the more people are willing to sit and pay attention to it means maybe they'll do a little bit more research, maybe they'll do a little bit more reading, listening to shows like this, and maybe they'll realize, hey, you know, it's not just these occasional, quote-unquote, crazies that they're focusing on in the newspaper, but it's actually something that people are pursuing as an academic pursuit. I mean, when you get people like astronauts, pretty much almost every spaceflight has had some sort of uh, occurrence. Mm -hmm. Some of them in a lot closer proximity than they like in some cases. But uh, it, are you going to say that an astronaut who is supposed to be, according to some people, the only intelligent people flying around in craft out there, you know, have somebody come by and buzz them, you know, that that's cause for concern. Yeah, I mean, what's he going to misidentify it as? Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First off, it's not weather, because there's no weather out in space. Well, and speaking of uh, being out in space, hopefully we won't be there next Saturday night. Hopefully we'll be back here talking to you for about the paranormal for two more hours, but you'll have to stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com to find out for sure. So until we speak to you next... I am Tim Weisberg, he is Matt Costa, and he is Matt Moniz. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernaturalist.